All right, got to love that, don't you? Nice little intro for the sermon this morning. <laughs> hey, so glad to have you guys here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Nate Westerfield. I'm the Crave Arts Pastor here. Uh, thank you for joining us online. Um, it's always uh, a pleasure to be able to have us back open as a church and together, but we also understand that uh, um, maybe uh, you're not comfortable yet with coming to a public gathering like that. That's okay. Uh, that's why we're able to still provide um, services online and to be able to offer those. And um, our hosts are always gracious about making sure that you also have the information you need online as well. So thank you for joining us online. Thank you for being here this morning and uh, being together. So glad to have you guys here with us. And uh, I get to kick off the book of Nehemiah this morning. And um, it's exciting because, you know, as we were kind of planning out the messages and going through this a little bit, um, just thinking about what's important for us. And you know what? And with COVID and with all the things that are happening in our nation, our community, our world, we thought, what better way to take a look back in, in the Old Testament and see how God used one individual to rebuild his nation, right? Um, and to rebuild uh, the temple and the walls and, and the, the gates of that community so that they were safe and sound, but also were they able to worship together as a community again. And so as we come back together, as we come back and slowly reemerge and after this COVID situation, we figure what a great time for us to rebuild, focusing on that together as a church. And so um, I think it's good for us as we dive into the book of Nehemiah, though we understand a little bit of the history uh, of, of Ezra, the book before Nehemiah, and Nehemiah himself. And so this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson, if that's okay. Um, just kind of bring us to this point before we start here in Nehemiah, and then we'll, we'll go on from there. And what I really want us to look at, just kind of just a, a bird's eye overview of the book of Ezra. And what we see is we find two individuals in the book of Ezra, and the first one is Zerubbabel. So he's in the first six chapters, and his goal was really to build the temple, to go back and to build a temple um, that had been destroyed by the Babylonians, right? So a little history lesson there. The Babylonians had come in. Um, we read about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We read about their captivity. Babylon had come in, destroyed Israel, taken ex exiles to Babylon. And then eventually Babylon gets destroyed by the Persian Empire. And this is where we find ourselves with Zerubbabel. And then in the next uh, chapters, we find it with Ezra for 7 through 10. Now, Ezra's main job was to really rebuild the community and teach the law, um, to open up um, the Torah and teach that to the people of Israel. And so what's important to understand about Ezra is that Ezra is of the line of Aaron. So he was actually born uh, into the priesthood. Aaron uh, was Moses' brother, and he was the first priest that God had established when they had established the nation of Israel. And so it's important for us to realize that Ezra is of that lineage with Aaron. Now, another thing to take note of is also that Ezra and Nehemiah happened to coincide with each other. Ezra happened to be in Jerusalem while Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem. And so they kind of overlap a little bit there. But as you look back, and if you guys do some study on your own, you'll see that the books Ezra and Nehemiah tend to um, be put together because they're so close in proximity to together. But that's important for us to understand that. And then we get to the book that we're going to be going through the next couple of weeks, and that's Nehemiah. And that's where in the first seven chapters, we get to see how Nehemiah and, and the nation of Israel, they rebuild the walls together. All right? Short history lesson. Not too bad. You guys good? Not too bad? All right. So, 
But it's funny because we don't start off the chapter with going right to work. Well, at least not physical work, okay? And so what we're going to do is before we dive in, we're going to go through it, the whole chapter together and read that together. But what I think is really fascinating about all three of these characters is we find four elements um, that are common patterns throughout um, their, their time as being a leader that God has called up. And these four patterns are this. First off, each one of them finds favor with the king, okay? They find favor with the king. So Zerubbabel finds uh, favor with Cyrus, and then Ezra and Nehemiah with uh, Xerxes. And so they find favor with the king, not only just favor to go to Jerusalem and do what they need to do, but also to the point to where they say, hey, we're going to send you, we're going to let you go, and we're also going to give you resources. We're going to give you money, and we're going to give you the supplies you need. You can go and rebuild your nation, rebuild your temple and the walls, and we're going to do it on our dime. Now, that's like God, right? That's definitely like God. Hey, I'm going to give you the resources and the people, and I'm going to let somebody else pay for it, right? A lot of times, I think that's awesome, because we, we probably all could share a story or two where we've seen God step in and take care of the bill for us, right? If you said yes to Jesus, he took care of the bill, right? He took care of the bill, right? And so he paid that with, with his life. And so Next, we see that each leader encounters some resistance. They encounter some, um, some outside forces, the other local leaders, other towns, communities. They didn't want them to rebuild because they knew that a nation who was humbled and set before God could do a lot of damage to their surrounding communities. And so these leaders met with, were met with resistance. These leaders overcome that resistance. God gives them the strength, the knowledge, the wisdom to overcome that resistance and to succeed. And then in the end, we see each one rebuild and, and the rebuilding ending with the celebration of the people. And so it's neat as we go through those stories with Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah that we get to see not only um, the struggle and the, the, you know, the, the struggle of being in exile in Persia, but what comes out of that being blessed by the community and then also um, seeing that resistance that comes to try to prevent them from rebuilding. And then in the end, we get to see them actually succeed and see God's will done in that. And so it's always a neat way to look at those stories and kind of give you a bird's eye view. So as we go through this study on Nehemiah, we know that we're going to, we're going to begin with a blessing from the king. And then we're going to encounter some resistance, but we're going to see God in the end uh, do what he wills. And so keep that in your mind as we go through the series together. But today, I want to focus really on just chapter one. And really, this first chapter has really nothing to do with uh, the king yet, has nothing to do with rebuilding. It has nothing to do with the celebration. It has everything to do with Nehemiah's response to the news that he hears. And so let's open up to the first chapter, and we're going to read the first three verses, Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. Let's begin to read that together. It's on the screen if you need it as well. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. Now, I think it's important for us to realize that was this the first time that Nehemiah heard of this? 
Maybe, maybe not. But there's one, two things I want to point out. In this um, first three verses, we learn that it wasn't just anybody that came to Nehemiah, but it was actually his brother, Hanani. He actually came to Nehemiah to let him know of the news of what Jerusalem looked like, what the people's attitude was there. He actually said, hey, brother, man, my brother, it's bad. It's really bad. People are not doing well. The walls are down. The gates are on fire. It's not good, you know? And you know, when you have your brother, hopefully you trust your brother. I know I trust my brother. But when he comes to you, you know it's serious. When he's coming to you, they let you know the state of the city. But then what's, what's interesting is when we see Hananiah bring that, then we also see that out of this, we see the exiles in great trouble and shame. And so we see that the community is being looked down upon, at least in Hananiah's eyes, Nehemiah's eyes. The community is being looked down on because they're beaten, they're torn down, the walls are beaten. And so we see truth from Hananiah come to Nehemiah, and we, and we see that there's shame there for the city. But in the next verses, we get to see then Nehemiah's response. And I think it's important for us to really take note of this response because as I, as I lay this out for you, you're going to see that it's not just a response that he does one time. This is a response that happens for a while. Matter of fact, it happens for weeks and months. Let's read verses 4 through 6, the first part of 6 there. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Now, we read in that first verse that Nehemiah heard the report of Jerusalem in the month of Kislev, okay? So on the Hebrew calendar, which they adopted from the Persians, the Babylonians there, um, that's around November, December, okay? Next week, Kevin, Pastor Kevin's going to talk about um, the second chapter. And what we see in that first verse of the second chapter is we see that when Nehemiah finally goes to the king to tell him about what he's been praying about, it's actually in the month of, uh, oh, sorry, one second, I have to find the month here. <laughs> Um, it's in the month of Nisan, which is March or April time frame. So you got November, December, Nehemiah hears the news. He doesn't go to the king until March or April to let him know of what he's been praying about. So I think this is important for us to realize is that as soon as he heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Now, it's not just a couple days, it's weeks and months. 90 to 120 days, Nehemiah spends time praying day and night for the nation of Israel. It's important for us to take note of that. Because that's not like our generation, is it? Do we like to wait for things? I know my kids don't. I love my kids, but I know that patience is not a virtue yet, right? It's not. But I know that's also true of us as adults, right? That's true of us, that 
We are a culture of instant gratification. I want a coffee, I can go to McDonald's. I can go to Starbucks, right? I can drive down the road, right? I always wondered about the guys who spend their time like getting, roasting their own beans and then they grind them and then they put it in the coffee. I don't, I don't drink coffee, so like to me that seems like a waste of time, but when you're a coffee connoisseur, right, you're gonna take the time, you're gonna get your own beans, you're gonna roast them, you're gonna grind them, you're gonna put them in the pot and you're gonna let it brew and that's gonna be like the perfect cup of coffee, right? Because it took time, it took patience, right? But our culture, for the most part, is so bent on wanting everything now that I don't think we quite understand what it means to sit down morning and evening, morning and evening, saying the same prayers, waiting for God to move because we want it now. Maybe think of a, a clip that I found. I'd seen this before, and as I was reading, looking for some illustrations, I, I found this, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great example. And it's the marshmallow test. Have you guys ever seen that? So with a bunch of little kids, they put a marshmallow in front of them, and they wait, make them wait for 15 minutes. And they say, hey, if you can wait for 15 minutes, I'll give you another marshmallow. I think it's important for us to really just realize that, you know, a lot of times when we read the Bible, there's a lot of, um, as we read it and as we know it, there's a lot of times where we think it just happens just instantaneously, right? There's a, a lot of scriptures that as we read it and we go through, it's like, oh, wow, that, that seems like that just happened one after another. And that's not the case. A lot of times there's just days, weeks, months, years before God answers, right? And so and it's important for us to remember that because as we um, get more into this prayer, as we begin to think about our current situations, as we begin to think about the circumstances that we've been put in with COVID and, and the racial stuff that's happening right now, like these things just don't resolve themselves overnight, right? We wish they would. We wish they would just go away. But even when it comes to our marriages, it comes to our relationships, it comes to our kids, our family, our friends, our schools, a lot of things don't just happen overnight, right? A friendship is broken, it takes time for that to heal. It takes repentance first and then reconciliation, and then it takes time for that to heal. But we see that time and time again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see it in our own lives, and it's just a reminder as we go through this with Nehemiah that we have to be patient, that God doesn't always answer right away, and that a lot of times there's something that we need to do to see that answer come about. And so as we read and continue to read here in Nehemiah, we're going to read the second part of verse 6 and 7. We're going to spend a little time here because I think this is a big part of where we need to begin. Let's read this together. We're going to start at the word confessing. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And so we see here that Nehemiah begins with confession. Confessing not only his sins, but also his father's sins. His father's house's sins. And then he's reminding God that we have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept your commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He begins with confession. 
And I think that's a great place for each of us to begin with. To begin with the fact that I am a sinner. That I, in a lot of ways, have failed God. I failed my wife sometimes at being a good husband. I failed my sons at times for being not a good father. My parents, my in-laws, for not being a good son or a good son-in-law. Sometimes I failed you as a church. I haven't been a good pastor. Or maybe the pastor you think I should be. Maybe I'm not a good friend. We confess those things one to another. To hold each other accountable. But also to confess them to God. Because I love this quote from John Stott. He says this, that God can only cover with his forgiveness the sins which we un cover in our confession. Let's read that again. God can only cover with his forgiveness the sins which we uncover in our confession. So here's the deal. God knows our sins. There's no doubt about it, right? He knows everything. He knows it all. But it's important for us to confess those sins, to speak those sins out. Not that we have to do it from a stage like this or that we have to go into a confessional, but that we just confess them to God. But I think it's important for us also if if we need to, we can have those confessed to another individual to help hold us accountable. To speak them out loud, whether it be in your prayer closet or be to a friend or be to a family member, to be humble and say, God, forgive me because I've sinned. We see Nehemiah doing that here, not only for him and his father's house, but also for the nation of Israel. But I love the fact that he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just end there, that when he confesses it, because then he goes on in verses 8 through 10, and he, and he says this. Let's start there. Verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. What I love here is that we get to see Nehemiah reminding God that you said that if we will return to keep your commandments... That although we're outcasts, although we've been exiled to Persia now, it was Babylon before, that you'll bring us back, that you'll gather us back. You'll bring us back to the place you've chosen, that you'll dwell amongst us, God, and that your servants, us, will be your people. And that you'll redeem us by a great power and your strong hand. So not only does Nehemiah confess and lay at the altar the sins of the nation, he also reminds God that, say, God, you are good and faithful to do this, to bring us back, to call us back home, to make your name among us so the nations know that you are our God and that we are your people. I think it's also a great reminder that Sometimes I think we feel that our sins sometimes get punished, right? God's not in the business of punishing. Our sins are decisions that we make, and we may have to deal with outcomes from those, but 
it's a great reminder that God's character is true and right. And that as we confess those, God is faithful and just to restore us. Yes, we may have to endure some things because of our decisions, but I also think it's important for us to know that God also puts us in situations to refine our character, to make us who he wants us to be, not who we think we should be. We can look throughout the scriptures. Why did Daniel have to endure the lion's den? Because he was faithful to God. He prayed every day. There's example after example of things that we have to succumb to sometimes. Just really to come to the, the humility and the humbleness of saying, God, what can you teach me? But what I love about this whole book, and I think we'll see this as Nehemiah leads the nation of Israel back to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates, to provide safety and security for the nation of Israel, we get to see a big part of who Nehemiah is and, and what my mom really pointed out to me and kept repeating over and over again. I love my mom because she always is praying, always interceding. And she reminded me that, do you know what Nehemiah's name means? Do you know what his name means? And I love when you look it up, his name is split into two words, and it's Nekem, which means comfort, and it's Yah, which means Yahweh. So it means comfort of Yahweh, or Yahweh comforts. I think it's a great reminder for us that no matter what we endure, no matter what we go through, God brings comfort in the middle of it. You can ask Kaylee and I, when I went through my brain tumor back in 2004, when we had that and found the news about that, it wasn't comfortable at first, right? I remember Kaylee taking the phone call from the doctor, and she heard the news. The doctor says, you've got a brain tumor, it's cancerous, and you're going to die in six months. That was the news that was told to us. I remember her hitting the floor. But I also remember the peace of God, the comfort of God that came over that. And as we walked through that, there wasn't a doubt in our minds that God is in control, right? It was hard. We had doubts at times, but there was a peace, there was a comfort that came over us that helped us through that. That's 2004, it's 2020, it was 16 years ago. Went through a surgery that was supposed to last 10 and a half hours, and it lasted five and a half hours because it, the doctors were able to remove it a lot faster than they thought they would. I had radiation after that that wasn't um, as um, strong as we thought it was going to be, and we were concerned that we'd even have kids, but we have three beautiful boys because of that. Sometimes they're a pain in my neck, but I love them. Sometimes they test my patience. That's okay. But God's comfort walked us through that. We're in a time right now where I know there's a lot of upheaval and indecision and there's arguing and fighting on social media and all these different things about COVID and about racial stuff. And man, it feels like our world is just going and going and going. It's not stopping ever, right? And I think now, more than ever, we need some comfort. We need 
some comfort that God is in control. Comfort to understand that he has a plan. And he's going to work that plan. And it may not be in our timing. And very, very rarely is it ever. But that his plan, we can hold comfort to. So I think it's important for us this morning, I really want us to spend a little bit of time praying together. And I know this may be hard at home with the kiddos running around, but do your best this morning as we pray. And what I really want us to do is I'll I'll pray for us. I want us just to be in a spirit of prayer. And I want to challenge you this next week. And as we go through this Nehemiah study, that we fast as well together, because that's another thing that Nehemiah did. In those days and months, it wasn't that he just prayed a prayer in the morning, a five-minute prayer, and a a five-minute prayer at night. No, I believe that he labored in prayer, that he labored working on his knees for his nation because he needed God to intercede. He needed God to intercede because there wasn't anything Nehemiah could do. When you look at Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, they found favor of the king because God stirred their heart. Not because of what they did, not because of who they were. The scriptures remind us because God had stirred their hearts already. We need to be stirred deep within our souls to see change. And that change isn't going to happen overnight. Second Chronicles 7.14 says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Nehemiah heeded those words. He knew that they had been called by God. They were a nation that God had chosen. He humbled himself. He confessed their sins and he sought God's face. We need that today. We need that in our homes. We need that in our schools. We need that in our government. We need that in every business organization within the United States. Because at one time, we used to be a nation that stood for principles and values. At one time, we used to be a light on a hill. But you students, you guys have a a heavy burden in one way to carry for your classmates, to be on your knees, interceding for them. Parents, we have a heavy burden to pray for our kids and the teachers and the administration in those schools, that they would be stirred by God to lead those kids in the right way, in the right path. To pray for our leaders of this country, all of us, from the mayors to the governors to the presidents, no matter where they be, 
that God would stir their hearts and that they would turn to him because only God can change their hearts. A boycott doesn't work and a rally, it may bring some recognition, but in the end, we believe in a God who where our best work is done on our knees, seeking after him and his will. And I guarantee you, for those that you don't even know around you, that don't know Jesus, the best step we can take for them is to pray for them, that God would begin to stir their hearts, that they begin to ask questions, maybe because of what God's doing in them, that they may come to know him. A lot of times our evangelism doesn't need to be the words we speak to those people. It needs to be what we say on our knees about those people. Nehemiah was reminded of that. And so this morning, as we pray, I just want us to first start with confession. As you sit there in your seats, confess. Say, God, here is my confession. God, here is my sin. Here is what is wrong in my life. God, you already know it. I just want to speak it because I want to be freed from it. I want to be forgiven of it. God, here is my confession. And then I want us to pray for our communities. I want you to think about the teachers and the students that you know, about the administrators and about the mayors and the governors, about those people that maybe you haven't met them face to face, but you know their name. You know who they are. I want you to begin to think about them and say, God, in some divine way, God, in some divine way, God, stir their heart. Stir their heart, God, for you. God, I pray against COVID and cancer. God, for brain tumors. I Pray against those in the name of Jesus because I know we've had to deal with it as a family. But God, I know that there's families across this church and across those watching online that there's things you're having to endure that God, I just pray in the name of Jesus there be healing. That there be healing. God, and let, let your miraculous work be seen. God, I pray for marriages. God, I pray for people. Suicides are on the rise and marriages are struggling. God, intervene. Divinely intervene, God. Let husbands, God, let them love their wives like you love the church. God, and Lord, let the wives, God, love their husbands in return. I know it's hard. I know that this COVID hasn't been great, but man, help us to get back, Lord, to those days where we remember the the love in a real way. Lord, I pray that there be racial healing as well. It's 2020. You think we'd be past these things. But God, we're just humans. We keep 
rehashing the past in a negative way. God, help us to break that cycle. Let there be freedom. God, let there be color blindness in each of us. God, that we not see color, we see the person. We see the person for who they are, not for what they look like. God, even and it comes, when it comes down to economic standards, God, whether they live on the street or a mansion down the hill, God, that we don't treat them any different. They're all your creation. They're all your people. God, they all need you. They all need your saving grace. Because you died for us, Lord. You love us that much, so, so much. You laid your life down for us. And God, I pray for each one this morning in this room and watching online. Lord, I pray that we find a way to make this habitual in our life, not just a five-minute prayer in the morning and a five-minute prayer at night, and we just lay our requests at your feet, God, but that we begin to look at the things around us, and we begin to intercede in a deep way, God, and we begin to see you work in our lives. We begin to see you work in our community's lives, God, because only you can bring about that change. But I know that we can see it if we commit. If we commit, God, to humbling ourselves. God, and seeking you first. And Lord, I pray there be anybody in this room or watching online this morning that has never said yes to you, God, I pray that right now, in this moment, God, as you stir their heart, I let them say yes to you. It's simple. Confess your sins and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, come into my life. Lord, begin a new work. God, and help me as I go forward to follow in your footsteps. You know, as we say yes to Jesus, it's not always easy. He never said it would be. But the beautiful thing about it is we know that we have a God who loves us, who sent his son to die for us. And he left us his Holy Spirit to never leave us, to guide us as we open up his word to help us understand the deep things of God and to make them known to us. And as we join together in community, that we can encourage each other and sharpen each other and walk alongside each other to see God do mighty things. We live in a busy world, but God, help us not to forget to spend time with you. Not just for our needs or our wants, but God, to pray for those around us.
for this world is God this world is so sick and dying and there's so many people that are dying with it God that needs you God help us to intercede for them because we know one day God when you return we know then that there'll be a celebration for us all but all those that say yes to you now, God, we're reminded of the scripture that tells us that all of heaven rejoices when one, when just one says yes to you, to follow after you. Let's hold fast to that. God, I thank you again for each one here this morning online. Lord, help them each and every day. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and to meet and to see each other face to face. Lord, I'm believing that soon be able to do that together again as a whole. But until then, God, help us to find ways to connect online and to connect over the phone or text messaging, different ways. We can still encourage each other in a lot of ways. We're blessed by that. God, help us to do that. Thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do.